and happy Thursday, everybody. It is time for episode 534 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio. I am your writer, host, producer, and person currently looking for a quote-unquote real job, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. We are opening up this week's episode with the song Zorch. X99. It is by the band Mullet Monster Mafia. It's from their album Inferno. You can find them at mmmbrazil.bandcamp.com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, courtesy of their record label. Thank you for letting us play their music this week on the show. Go check out the album when you're done listening to this week's episode. Mullet Monster Mafia is a Brazilian surf band, and I'm a huge fan. So to be able to play them this week on the show is super cool. So go check them out. When you're done listening to Jonathan Inbody and I talk about the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Can you believe that I'm talking about the second Invasion of the Body Snatchers film with somebody before I talk about the first Invasion of the Body Snatchers film with somebody? I know that I mentioned the first film briefly here on the show when I finally got around to watching it for the very first time, but I would have thought that I would have talked about the first film in depth with a guest before getting into the remake or the second adaptation of the original short story. And yeah, we talk a little bit about the fact that it's a remake or not really a remake, but anyway, the conversation that I have with Jonathan is just a lot of fun. Jonathan's got a new writing thing on the horizons, a new story coming out. So we're going to talk briefly about that. We talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He insists on bringing up David Cronenberg, and I let you know how I terrorize my little brother with a particular film from Steven Spielberg from the 80s. It's a weird conversation, but honestly, I needed the laughs that week when we did the recording, so it was a good time for me. I hope the good time translates and you have a good time listening to it as well. But if you don't, that's okay, because we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mark Matsky's Beta Castle Review. we got a little bit of something for everybody. So let's get into it right now. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, Mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again, and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Sort of whistling. I was right, they're coming down by the hundreds. Get Hall. Listen, listen very carefully. If you ever hear a sound like this, run for your life. Run, run before it is too late. For if you stay, you will lose your soul. Coming closer, closer, closer is an enemy from outer space. 
from out of this world it came. A horrifying terror that threatened mankind, haunting and possessing every human being within range. An indestructible danger beyond all earthly understanding. Vincent Broadhead is dead. Dead? I watched him die a few hours ago in that plant. His whole body covered with some kind of corrosive poisoning, eaten away. It poisoned everything it touched. The mind and the body of man was no longer in his control. They ran from this unknown menace, but there was no escape. We're holding this block. We've got to. At least until the oxygen takes effect. What's in those doors, mister? Yes, what is it? Tell us. Inside those domes are creatures from outside this earth. Are you mad? I've seen them. Thousands of tiny creatures that can join together and expand into things a hundred feet high. than his prediction of space travel in Things to Come. More imaginative than his laser beams in War of the Worlds. More frightening than his warning of nuclear holocaust in The Time Machine. From H.G. Wells, history's most credible prophet, now comes his most incredible story, Empire of the Ants. A terrifying tale of civilization fighting for survival against armies of giant ants 10 feet tall who control the human population by drugging them into submission. And man the master becomes man the slave. Joan Collins, Robert Lansing, H.G. Wells, Empire of the Ants from American International Pictures. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Empire of the Ants. They shall inherit the earth sooner than you think. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty ultra heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A mysterious fog descends upon Tokyo, and the death toll soon mounts. As the science patrol is being contacted, they get word that the mist contains a lethal dose of radioactivity. Patrolling the foggy streets in special equipment, Arashi and Ide confront an apparent man in black, who's actually an alien named Zareb, which in its language means brother from another planet, the title of the 18th episode of Ultraman. Gaining access to Science Patrol headquarters, Zareb uses their translation device to make an offer. It will eliminate the radioactive fog as a good faith gesture. The alien does so, and in response, the Science Patrol allows Zareb to stay at their base. The space creature promptly hypnotizes Ide and uses him to spy on the Japanese government's space conference. It turns out the radioactive fog had been generated by Zareb in order to solve the problem and win trust. And the invader continues to strategically sow deception, using its ability to shapeshift to keep the Earthlings off guard. All hope seems to be lost when Hayata's VTOL crashes and Ultraman begins to demolish the city. 
Brother from Another Planet is yet another fast-paced, rewarding episode with a distinctive villain and a gripping climax, punctuated by the sight of Ultraman wreaking havoc on a miniature cityscape and Hoshino's heroic effort to come to Hayata's aid. I haven't said much about the English dubbing thus far, but this is a case where the dub track makes things even more entertaining. In the original Japanese, Zareb has a very normal sounding voice, but in the English dub, he has a metallic mechanical cadence with the addition of a mushmouth quality that has to be heard to be appreciated. And you didn't hear it from me, but it's said that it's a lot of fun to imitate. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. declares war against nature. American International Pictures presents Frogs, the story of the day nature strikes back. It was bound to happen, but why now? Why did these particular people on that particular island face this particular kind of slithering, slimy terror? See Frogs, starring Ray Milan, Sam Elliott, Joan Van Ark, Adam Rourke, and Judy Pace. Frogs, an American international picture, in color rated PG. Frogs, today the pond, tomorrow the world. In five fright-filled features, watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the terror duck. <laughs> it's only a gallon bowls, the raven. Join Boris Karloff in the most gruesome day of the undead. Black Sabbath. And there are two more blood-chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows? You may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Carlos' creepiest capers in nightmare colors. And you are invited. It's so scary, we dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in horror vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, horror vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. (laughs) 
Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guest are talking about the 1978 remake of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This movie was featured in FM 151 from March of 1979. It was a six-page article with ten photos, seven from the new film and three from the original. It was a strange article written by editor Forey Ackerman. Let's hear why. He starts by looking at classic films that are so good they should not be remade, including The Day the Earth Stood Still, War of the Worlds, This Island Earth, and, of course, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He concludes this section with these comments. I'll be quite frank with you. I'm against remakes in general. Certainly, the Omega Man was an improvement over the pathetic last man on Earth, though justice still hasn't been done to Matheson's I Am Legend. But I resent remakes of Food of the Gods, King Kong, Dr. Moreau, Jekyll and Hyde, as long as great stories like To Walk the Night, Slan, Darker Than You Think, The Black Flame, The world below are still waiting in the wings, gathering dust on the shelf in the world of unwrought things instead of bread at the box office and kudos from the critics acclaim from the fans, and perhaps even another Oscar or two at Academy Awards time. So, my natural question is, why a remake of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers? It was done so well the first time around. Well, I'm willing to be shown. Prepare yourself, the publicists tell us, There are very special films that plunge you into a world of total terror, unleashing emotions so intense, so frightening, there is no defense. Be prepared for a devastating experience, one that chills you in a way nothing has before, a nightmare so real you will pray it isn't true. The article continues with a look at the original 1956 film, with a paragraph about its fake location and excerpts from an earlier article. After that is this the only paragraph actually about the remake. The new Body Snatchers is said to be not so much a remake of the old as a different interpretation of the theme of humankind imperceptibly replaced by alien kind. The process by which men, women, and children become carriers of otherworldly life is a kind of cosmic cloning. Seed pods from somewhere in the depths of the interplanetary or interstellar void arrive on Earth. This extraterrestrial plant life implants its personal psyche in clones created from unsuspecting human beings as they sleep. The resulting doppelgangers are but the simulacrums of human beings. Ersatz individuals, indeed, without the necessary individuality that is the core of humanity. Cold, calculating, emotionless, soulless, in a word, unhuman. Forey gets really weird next, giving us a look at what happened the day he was writing the article. While composing the preview, he had a surprise visit from John Landis and Lily Tomlin, who came to plug their quasi-remake, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. He then had a call from a Florida radio station who wanted to interview him live about Halloween. He gladly agreed and did the interview. He then concludes the article with these comments. In the original film, in Santa Mira, Is some subtle, monstrous metamorphosis going on among the townspeople? Or is it merely some mass hysteria that has mysteriously gripped the community? 
the town doctor discusses the perplexing problem with his psychiatrist friend and with his girlfriend. Partway through the picture, it appears pretty certain that there's something preternatural happening in Santa Mira, but the audience is cleverly manipulated so that their convictions are challenged. But long before the hair-raising climax is reached, there's no doubt at all about Earth being invaded by seed pods from space, sentient polymorphs, things from the void. How would it all happen this time? I'll be right there in line like you on opening day, anxious to find out. So not so much about the actual remake, except a handful of photos. The fact the article was published one or two months after its December release date really gave me the sense he didn't like the idea of the remake and wasn't too interested in promoting it. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Charlton Heston is the Omega Man. The Omega Man. More than fantasy. Maybe the future. Rated GP. More frightening than the war of the worlds. More prophetic than things to come. More imaginative than the time machine. Now, H.G. Wells' masterpiece of science fiction. The food of the gods. The terrifying tale of man fighting for his life against an ecology gone berserk. Marjo Gortner, Pamela Franklin, the last chance an unsuspecting world has against harmless animals and insects made huge and vicious by the food of the gods, hunting humans in packs, preying on their flesh, the food of the gods. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. The food of the gods for a taste of hell. Nothing can stop it. The Blob. Starring Steve McQueen. It creeps. It crawls. It's slithery. It's slimy. The Blob. Plus Dinosaurus, both in shrieking color. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I still have an automatic gag reflex whenever anybody talks about remakes around me. Now, I've managed to kind of skew the way I think about remakes when it's not technically a remake, but more of a, another adaptation of an existing property. And... That's how I was able to stomach even considering the idea about talking about 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Uh, I just, you know, I got that remake, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? So when Jonathan and Body wants to talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I have to tell myself it's not a remake. It's just another adaptation of a story that I have never read. It's I, that's <laughs> my thing also with this is half think I have read the original, but I don't remember if I've read it or not. So it, it can't have been that memorable compared to the movies. <laughs> oh, man. And so, yeah, it's 
that's just a little quirk with me. And uh, I'm actually glad I got over the quirk because it gives me a chance to talk to Jonathan here about a movie that I did have fun with. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I guess I probably um, shouldn't have asked this time. <laughs> you heard the last episode. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no, yeah, I, okay. I gotta I'm say okay. that as far as the remake stuff goes, I usually am allergic to the idea of remakes, but there's an exception I have for the like late seventies, early eighties wave of remakes like this, the fly, the thing, the blob. There's a lot of those that I really like, and I feel like it's because it's um, people who grew up with the originals and then decided like, okay, let's make the current for the time version of that story. And they they really keep the fear. They like emphasize the vibe of the movie more than just trying to make it again. And then you have like a third wave of remakes now where everything is just the same movie, but with older actors playing the same characters as as sad old people. Okay. Uh, to unpack what you just said there, <laughs> the thing and the fly were based on short stories beforehand. But it's so but nobody knows the short. Like I mean, people know that they are, or at least people know. I'm that just saying. Things, in my, but... that's how I'm justifying it in my brain. That's how I'm justifying it in my brain. <laughs> well, whatever okay? works. I'll I'll take the win. You said third wave. I'd say there's probably a fourth or fifth, at least when it comes to this story. Because it has been done at least two more times, as far as I'm aware. Oof, yeah. The, I haven't seen the 90s one. Have you seen the 90s one? That was the only one I had seen oh. before I started watching any of them. Oh. Um, and it was because it came out on video while I was working at a Blockbuster video, which meant I got free rentals, sure. which meant I was able to take it home and watch. How about the, is it 2006-ish? The, whatever the Daniel Craig one is. Have you seen that one? I watched that one and I don't remember no. anything about it. So I, I never saw it. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. It just, yeah. All I remember about it is I think there's a cure for being pod peopleized in that. And I was like, well, I'm kind of you. It feels like you really didn't understand the story that you were making. If that's the case and listeners, let us know if you've seen it or if you remember it or not. But if they did that, at least they tried to do something different with it, as opposed to, say, Peter Jackson coming along and saying, I love King Kong. I want to remake King Kong. And he basically gets studio money to make a fan film, you know, <laughs> but it's so, much longer. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what you wanted? <laughs> is King Kong twice as long? So also, listeners, it is like 91 degrees here. I'm sweating, so I'm a little cranky. So if any of that is bleeding through my anti-remake tirades here, that's, yeah. It's, it's kind of perfect for talking 70s stuff, though. Everybody in the 70s is, is very sad and very grumpy. I think it's perfect. I think it fits this film really well. It really does. It really does. Now, now I want to talk about the movie with you, you know, your history with it and why you wanted to talk about it and all that. But sure. there's other stuff going on in your life that, you know, monster kids might want to know about. And there that's is. kind of what spurred on this whole thing. So, yeah. What's going on, man? Yes. So I've been uh, publishing short stories for a while, and I have a short story that's getting published as part of a series for Black Hair Press. It is a, a small Australian uh, independent publisher. They do a lot of good horror stuff, and they have a series called Short Reads, which are basically short stories published as their own little book to um, to kind of advertise their longer form anthologies and their authors. So I have one of those coming out. Uh, that is partially inspired by this film and partially inspired by Day of the Triffids. It's got a lot of little inspirations, um, but it's called This Hideous Joy. And it is basically about a small town in Vermont where things start to get uh, a little bit strange and no one seems to notice or mind. There's a, a strange spate of deaths 
and only the narrator seems to care at all that these people are dying and everybody else just seems as happy and stepfordy as uh, it is possible for people to be. And I don't want to say too much else. It gets weird. It gets bizarre. I think people, uh, especially your listeners, will enjoy it. That is out August 21st. You can get the ebook for just $1. You can pre-order it now. And you can follow all of my writing stuff on at InBodyWriter on Twitter. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes uh, for the Twitter, of course. And then what was the name of the book one more time? This Hideous Joy. Okay, we'll make sure there's a link for that as well for you to pick up. Check out the show notes. Check out the affiliate links. Help support Jonathan. Support the show. That'll be awesome. You're also a guy that I keep going to whenever I want to show a cool little short movie on the stream. You got any other filmmaking plans? So I'm trying to put together uh, another short film at the moment, actually. For anyone who doesn't make films, it is a minor miracle that any film happens at all, regardless of budget level, but especially... Oh, you're, you're, yeah, like, you're preaching to the choir here. It, especially when you're, you're low to no budget, it is so deeply impossible just to coordinate all of it. So I'm, I'm right in that part of filmmaking. Like every time I make a movie, I hate filmmaking for a while and then I get done with it and I wait a couple of months and then I go back and watch it and I go, oh, okay, that's fine, actually. Maybe I'll make another one of these. Well, that's cool, man. Good luck with it. I hope it works out. Thank you. Definitely hope it works out. Yeah. And thank you for showing The Lunatic uh, a couple of times now. I, I wish I had more free time so I could actually like hang out with the streams and, and watch all of the stuff that you show. Whenever you get some free time, drop on by, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand. Um, it's fun to put that stream together. And every once in a while, I kind of run into a stumbling block. It's like, what am I going to show here? Hey, I'm friends with filmmakers. Yes. And they're good. So, yeah, let's use their stuff. <laughs> well, let's not go that far. I won't say I Hey, am. now. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. Seb, good day. That guy's good. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I'll just no, keep Seth's listing great. other filmmakers. Josh is great. Good. Chris is great. Yes. There, everybody's great. Mm-hmm. What is happening? We're supposed to be bleak. It's the seventies. <laughs> we got to go way more negative. sci-fi. No one's good. Yeah. No one's good. Everything's I terrible. <laughs> I don't know. There was that whole, the, the whole self-help, you know, hippie guru. I'm okay. Kind of you're thing, okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Spock. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, let, let's move on to... The Classic Five, what do you think? Let's do it. The Classic Five! The listeners who don't know or they are just now joining us for the first time or they forgot since last week, The Classic Five is a game that we play with everybody who comes onto the show. I have five cards that I'm going to draw from this deck of many, many cards. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. It is not a trivia game. It's just a way to get monster kids talking about their favorite subject, monster movies. Jonathan. Are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? I like to think so, but we'll find out. <laughs> no pressure, no stress, no wrong answers. Here we'll we go. See. First question. Favorite Barbara Steele film? See, that's going to be an immediate one for me where, because I'm I'm so bad about everything Hammer. I'm, I'm so far behind. I mean, it's impossible not to be behind when I'm like. She, she never made a Hammer film. No? Oh, no. That's nope. even worse then. This is a, already a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, I've done so badly. I'm literally going to IMDb right now to correct my mistake. This is <laughs> no wrong answers, man. Well, I feel like this is a wrong answer. The Pit and the Pendulum. There we go. I got there. Vincent Price. There you go. I was tempted to say uh, Shivers that she's in the Cronenberg film, which is another very 70s-y kind of one. But Classic Five, I can't get two 70s in, though. Well, we are going to have a 70s expansion at some point. Ooh, so That'd be great. S- s- save your 70s for that. I will. <laughs> well, you know what? Here, this... Uh, you know, we mentioned the Vincent Price film a second ago. 
Next question. What movie could have used Vincent Price to make it just a little better? Hmm. I feel like they could have done another House of film with Vincent Price as the mad scientist. Ah, like I feel like okay. that could have been. I, I feel like he could have really pulled one of those together. Like even if they wanted to, yeah. to have him playing like a, a Doctor Pretorius style, like give him little homunculi, that'd be fun. That would be a lot of fun. All right, next question: The Blob or Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster? That is that is a tough one. I I gotta go with the Blob just for the classic vibe of it, and also. The I don't know. It's hard to beat the blob. The blob is, is in, in some ways, king of the monsters for me, as far as like fifties driving stuff goes. Really? I just love blob monsters. And I just like, well, actually, you know, cause you and I talked about Santo versus yep. the blob a long time <laughs> ago, but there's something about them. That's, that's just always going to be, I feel like they just speak to me for some reason. And I feel like I'll eventually make something with a blob, but I don't know how I would do that effect ever. Well, you just got to get a bunch of uh, petroleum product that never dries out. <laughs> Diet red. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to actually see it. I have. But uh, I, I heard that, yeah. that they've just, uh, they just carted around in buckets though. In a bucket. Yeah. yeah um, the caretaker is no longer with us. He, passed away not too long ago right. but he would bring it around to like monster bash and the last time i saw him i asked him will you just keep it in the bucket he said yeah it's like what do you do between shows i put it in the freezer which was the right answer because sure. <laughs> that's what you do to the blob to stop it you <laughs> there you go you can't have it growing <laughs> out of control all right uh let's see that was uh, three questions yes okay let's hit number four favorite actor to play dracula Ooh, this is another tough one, honestly. I mean, I guess have to go Bella Lugosi. I, I'm a Lugosi guy. I, I love Lugosi in general. And I feel like he, everything that we think of as Dracula originated with him. Like everything that the that the average person uh, associates with Dracula and with vampires is all from the Lugosi. You got the hair, the widow's peak, and some of that comes into with, with Christopher Lee, but the like blah, 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 that, all that is so... Lagosi, it's it's hard to beat him. <laughs> the blah blah blah. Wow, I'm trying to remember what network did it. Somebody, some country, or some other than English language broadcast of the Olympics. Mm. When a country would go by, they would have a graphic for that country, and I, they weren't always the most respectful. Like I think they did pizza for Italy. I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> But for Romania, they threw up Lugosi as Dracula. Oh, sure. I think it was Romania. Maybe, yeah, it was Romania, I think. I may be completely botching well, this. It was Romania. Here it is right here. I just found the, the, the uh, article about it. Uh, apparently, they uh, apologized. Because he's, he's Hungarian <laughs> and the character's Transylvanian. <laughs> yeah, well, they were more apologizing for the pizza and for the Ukraine. They showed Chernobyl. Oh, no. So... Yeah. That's savage almost. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a comedy sketch in there, but I, I don't want to be the one to write it. Haiti had pictures of protests with a car on fire. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. These guys just, mm, that was brutal. This is. It was a, a South Korean broadcaster. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get to something a little bit more positive. <laughs> Last question. What four monsters are on your Mount Rushmore of monsters? That one is also tough for me because I feel like I lean away from the like Dracula and Frankenstein, but I think Frankenstein's monster has to be on there. Okay. 
I mean, I guess portrayed by who? I guess Dracula has to be on there too. I feel like the universal, it's all going to be universal monsters, I think, on mine. Okay, okay. I, I think it's got to be Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Creature, maybe. It's that last spot gets real tough to fill because there's so many, like, how do you not put the mummy on there? How do I not put the mummy on there? But I don't know. The creature from the Black Lagoon, I feel like, has a face that would look good on a, on a big old mountain. Uh, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I always say there's no wrong answers when it comes to the classic five, but there's always a right answer. And that right answer is always Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, but I well just done. do you win. like a double size <laughs> Mount Rushmore, though, and just put all the Universal Monster designs on it. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of cheating, but. Yeah. No wrong answers. Well, that was the classic five. You survived. I Just barely. <laughs> Uh, except for that whole, you know, Barbara Steele. I know that one's that anyway. one's a real. Ugh. <laughs> ugh, I feel like an amateur. You, no, it's all good, man. <laughs> it's all good. I uh, not to be that guy, not to be the. Well, actually, whenever somebody says Barbara Steele did a Hammer film or whatever, mm. but actually, <laughs> she never did. Um, she could have. Mm-hmm. She was in the area, but you know. Whatever. It is what it is. I'll eventually get over the shame. Yeah. (laughs) I've already forgotten. (laughs) From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Certificate X. Now showing London Pavilion. Classic Oxford Street. All right, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, a film that the Chicago Film Critics Association named the 59th scariest film ever made. Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it deserves higher on that list. Oh, really? Go higher. I, yeah, this movie This movie really gets to me. Like, this is, I, I think horror movies about alienation really get me, but this one especially I find so almost immediately unsettling and and relentless. It, it is so, it just hammers you constantly with paranoia and with just that looming sense that things are already too far along to be stopped. And I find that really frightening. Interesting. Okay. Well, as with the other film, the first film, I had never seen it before. Uh, so yes. I watched, I just got done watching it about 45 minutes ago. Oh man. It is super fresh in my mind. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I would say right off the bat, I enjoyed it. Now I prefer the original sure, because I like the aesthetic of 1950s monster movies or sixties or whatever. I just, that's, that's my go-to when I want comfort from a film. Sure. That's where I go. But this one, I think is a little bit more, um, visceral and it's got that 70s sheen this movie revels in its 70s-ness it is like everything about it is 70s the the whole vibe the san francisco the wood paneling on all the walls and stuff <laughs> like you know the wood panel the costumes uh the way the music was done the hairstyles uh who they chose as their main characters yes. even you know it's just it just revels in it and <laughs> the director or whoever made so many choices about making sure they showed us technology that we don't use anymore. Uh, whether it's an old style television or the telephone with the cord that goes to the wall 
or whatever, there are close-ups of these things. <laughs> and, and it's the excess of the 70s, too, a little bit. And, yeah. Yeah, it, it has the 70s malaise in, in in spades. I like to refer to the 70s, at least in film, as the the hangover from the party of the 60s. And it feels like this... There you go. It feels like this movie is so much about that feeling of... Um, especially because this is... 70s approaching the 80s and society is kind of becoming yuppieized for lack of a better term. And so much of this movie feels like the characters looking around and seeing society changing and becoming a much more cookie cutter thing. And and that's so much of the fear. It, it just feels like it's more than so many other 70s movies. It feels like it's a movie about the 70s as a decade and mm-hmm. about the way that they're slowly kind of becoming the 80s. And as the as the pod people kind of spread across America. Exactly. I mean, I think you pretty much wrapped it up right there. That That is it. And I think that's one of the reasons why remakes like this or movies like this can work transplanted to a different era or, or region. You know, this is, you know, a, a bigger city. It's San Francisco, whereas the original was a, a, it was a smaller place, right? Mm. So you can use that that story that trope what it's telling you and and apply whatever message you want to it that's why i think zombie movies are the most effective when they're about something other than just a bunch of dead guys walking around or kaiju films are the best when it's not just about a big monster smashing buildings it's about something else and i feel like a lot of the sci-fi movies from the 70s movies like this when it comes to like replacing people uh homogenizing people the sameness all of that. Oh, it's just, it gets to you, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense. It's, no, I, 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 I completely <laughs> understand. It's, it's so much of this movie is about the feeling and it's hard to describe that feeling. I, I think it's at its base. It is alienation. It is the thing that is universal about the, the body snatchers as a monster is just that feeling of you look at somebody, you know, or you look at a world, you know, and it's different and you don't know when it became different, but it's different enough that you don't feel safe there or with them anymore. And I feel like that feeling is is so universal. And that's really the thing that, like you said, it can be adapted to any era. Uh, it, it feels like we're due for another Body Snatchers, which is a weird thing to say. But they've done so many of them that it, it, it doesn't quite feel like heresy to keep remaking it. Maybe that's just because I like, like, I prefer this one to the original, which I know is heresy, but I'm very much a big fan of 70s film and 80s film and and that wave of 80s remakes that we were talking about before. So, like, it feels like there is a world in which we could have a new Body Snatchers every 20 years. And I don't think maybe some of them would be bad, but I don't think the concept would ever get so worn out that the people wouldn't enjoy at least the idea of it. Well, yeah, and you could use that then to address whatever it is the fears are at the time. Right. right? It's much like the original Godzilla is about the atomic stuff, you know, uh, Night Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead is about consumerism, you know, all, all of that. Mm-hmm. Or the Vietnam War, you know. Um, so, yeah, certainly. And, and we certainly have a lot of things happening right now in the world that are scary. Very uh, much so. And, and we could see a body snatchers. Sure, I could totally see that. Although I think... Troma has already released at least or distributed at least one movie about COVID. Oh boy. And the Tiger King being involved somehow. Oh but, boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Troma, Troma is one of those companies that I, I love a lot of what they do and I hate a lot of what they do and I can never quite split that difference. I love what they stand for. Yes. They, they may not be my cup of tea and they're usually not. Yeah. But I love what they stand for being a true independent 
a true renegade when it comes to the studios and it's yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I don't, like I was saying to you before we started recording, I don't want to talk too much about COVID because it is all horrible and oh, you it's did. a lot to dwell <laughs> <You did>. on, <laughs> but I'm the one that brought but it up. <laughs> now that you broke the seal. Now I got to do a little, I think there is something I was saying to you earlier that when I was watching this, there was that feeling of like a slow rolling catastrophe that, that I think a lot of us felt in the early days of COVID where like um, constantly through this movie, there are sirens in the background. There are people running. There are um, the garbage trucks that are filled up with what we later find out is the destroyed remains of the originals that are being replaced by the body snatchers. And Mm -hmm. this idea of everyone being calm as the world is falling apart, I found really, really haunting in the year 2021. This is fine. Everything's fine as the world burns around you. And it's yeah. it's a lot of those a lot of those same anxieties are stuff that I poured into this hideous joy. Like a lot of the inspiration for that is that idea of that same sense of alienation, that root idea of looking around and seeing a world you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. I think this movie has only aged better because of our world turning the way that it has. I think we're coming back around to an era like the 70s where everything is kind of bleak and everything is kind of not really much hope for the future and everybody's kind of messed up all the time and just trying to make themselves work and try and function uh, in a world where it becomes increasingly hard to do that. I think there's a, a smarter man than I would probably be able to put a whole like book or essay together about that. But for now, that's that's what I'll say on that front, because otherwise it could get way too depressing in here. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. Depressing or not, the observation is spot on. Uh, I would say, though, that we still have a lot of that bleakness ahead of us with how things are looking with. I'm not going to get bogged down in it, but with how the very the covid variants are starting to pop up. now. Yes. Uh, all that, you know, I don't think we're out of it yet. And uh, no. And, and I think, um, yeah. again, to not get even further bleak, but I think climate change is going to result in a lot of horrible social uh, unrest as well in ways that are going to be. You know, the world is changing in a lot of different directions, and none of them seem to be positive directions exactly. So that's as far as I want to get into anything that could be even skewed a little political yes. here, because I've allowed, yeah, I don't want to go down that path right. again. That said, there's still a lot to get out of this film. Uh, it, it is very well made. The, the performances are spot on, and I really wish I had never seen the bit with Donald Sutherland pointing and screaming. Sure. Because I spent the entire movie wondering, is this where he switches? Is this right. where he switches? And it kind of took me out of it just a little bit. And it's like the last scene. Yeah. So that's that moment <laughs> has been doing? so thoroughly like not ruined by by everyone knowing it, but it's just become such a cultural touchstone. Whereas I yeah. think I think on par with that, because that one's kind of been removed from the equation as far as what can people be surprised by in this movie. What were your feelings on the uh, man-faced dog? Because that's always a moment that that like really <laughs> stands out to me as crazy and shocking and very seventies. It it was it was weird. I was like, what what what? I didn't quite get it. Now I'd seen that image before. It's. You know, if you're on Facebook Messenger and you're sending a message to somebody and you're trying to find a funny gift to somebody, it's going to pop up. That's true. I've sent I it didn't more realize than it was from. I didn't realize it was from this. Sure. Uh, so when it comes trot now, it's like, oh, that's where the meme came from. <laughs> and then about a, a beat later, why is there a dog, a man faced dog in this movie? We don't see it anywhere up until this point. We don't see any kind of 
clue that it's happening and it never happens again. It just felt kind of like a, a shock. Like, let's put it in there. They, they set it uh, yeah. up really loosely. Early on, you have Brooke Adams pass by the guy playing banjo and he's got his dog beside him. And then you have I kind of then you have Donald yeah, Sutherland pass the... by him. And then you have when they're like in the chase scene, when they're escaping, they find that guy, the guy with the banjo and the dog asleep next to pods that are growing. And they kind of half smash the pod on their way through to attempt and save the guy's life. So presumably them right. messing with the pod is why it ended up with a dog, with a man's face on a dog. But it's just, it's one of those horror movie gags where I'm like, no matter what, I will love this moment. Cause it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's bizarre. And the little banjo music they play behind <laughs> it. That's like the one thing where I'm like, okay, maybe actually pull that back. Just let the moment play. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the banjo because again, it's a seventies thing, mm. right? It, it just, again, it's, it's reveling in seventiesness that of course they all know the homeless guy. They all know his name. He's always playing the banjo. Do they offer to take him in? No, but you know, we acknowledge that he's the there. most seventies <laughs> thing ever of being like, Hey, right. it's you. We're all friendly, but no, you can't have a home, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. It's uh, the, um, I feel like the the whole cast of this movie, everybody is so good down to all of the side characters. Like the guy playing the banjo is barely in it, but like there's so many other little side characters like the um, the dry cleaners that, uh, oh, God. that Donald Sutherland goes to. <laughs> like there's so many good people with good faces who can do really weird menacing looks. There's the janitor at one point at the Department of Health where you're just he's just in the hallway buffing the floor and they just do this really unnerving zoom in on him. His mm -hmm. hands are moving and the buffer is moving, but his face is shrouded in shadow and he's just staring straight ahead. And there's something so creepy about it, even though there's, there's no reason for it to be creepy. It's just slightly off. And that's something this whole movie does really well. The cinematography, the acting, everything goes to that sense of the uncanny. And it is it is such an effective use of that type of horror. And I think whoever was in charge of the casting of the extras, the smaller parts, they did a phenomenal job. They really yeah, did. Yeah, even uh, like Jeffrey as well, Art Hindle, mm -hmm. uh, who I really like from uh, The Brood, uh, a Cronenberg movie from around the same time. Which actually, this, this whole movie has like three or four Cronenberg collaborators uh, in it. Because there's Art Hindle, Jeff Goldblum, who's in The Fly, and then Brooke Adams is in Dead Zone. It, this feels so much like it presages a lot of Cronenberg's rise in the, the late 70s, early 80s. It's like based on alienation. It seems like it's a societal critique, and it's also got weird, horrible body horror stuff. Mm -hmm. For sure. Oh, for sure. Which, if you, I don't know, this might be a little too late period for uh monster good radio. But if you ever want to cover the brood, the brood is great. That movie is nuts. I have issues with Cronenberg. Sure. Um, I know I've told the story on the show before, but, um, I, I had hallucinatory nightmares about him killing me. Oh God. Um, <laughs> was he in the mask from Nightbreed? No, <laughs> no, it was just him. Ooh. I was, having a fever dream i was incredibly sick and i dreamt that he walked into my bedroom i'm laying on my back sleep paralysis style and he gets on he gets above me and says you know what we do to sick directors and then he strangles me to death wow um 
<laughs> that happened night one. Night two. Oh, no. Uh, you know what we do to sick directors? Except this time he took a piece of saran wrap, placed it over my face, and then hawked loogies on me. Oh. So it's really weird. And if I ever meet him at a convention, I'm probably going to wet myself <laughs> because it terrified me. <laughs> I like that both of those deaths are like vaguely Cronenberg-y too. Like he likes those right. kinds of personal kills, like those very cl- yeah. up close, intimate kills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but hey, I, don't I know, mean, man. you you could have he could have like <laughs> uh, put a tape into your stomach or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, what we do to sick directors. Here, let me reach into your belly button and pull out a video camera. What? what? No, what? I don't get it. You know, what we do it. to sick directors. We show them the fly. <laughs> and then you just sit and have a nice little movie night with David Cronenberg. See, it's not I all bad. I would be down with that. I'd be down with that. Uh, I told that story to Chris Wallace, the uh, guy who did the special effects on the fly and directed the fly too. And mm. he just <laughs> he thought it was the greatest story ever. I'm like, no, it's not. It's terrifying, man. <laughs> That's my friend. Jeff has a story that um, a friend of his, when he was a kid, used to have nightmares about E.T. beating him up where E.T. would just run out of the closet and punch him. <laughs> and it's, I always, whenever I think of that weirdly specific nightmares, I just imagine E.T. just waddling over and punching somebody in the stomach. But I, I mean, I guess I could see Cronenberg as kind of a nightmarish figure, though. He's He's got so, like that, like, long, cold Canadian vibe, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm having a memory about E.T. and my little brother Kevin, rest in peace. I used to torture my brother occasionally because that's what Big Brothers did to Little Brothers. Sure. And right after E.T. came out, what was that, 85? Uh, I think so. 86? I wonder. I want to get an age on this because it's ridiculous. <laughs> I find E.T. very creepy. I, I'm not fond of 82. E. I like the movie fine, 82. but I the design of the creature is just horrifying. Oh, yeah. I think especially if you're younger. Yes. So I was nine, which meant my brother might have been like four or five. Oh, no. So I didn't know the wor- the right words. I, I knew the words my grandfather used because he thought they were funny. Mm-hmm. So I was torturing my brother and I told him that E.T. is going to come into... S- oh, God. E.T. is going to come to you in your sleep and cut off your tallywhacker. And he... <laughs> I got in so much trouble. Oh my god! Because he just started bawling. That is a nightmare. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. That's horrible. Why would I do that, Jonathan? What is wrong with me? That's a Cronenbergian image. Oh god! That's that's something straight out of Dead oh. Ringers, but with some naked lunch aliens in it. I'm, I'm doing a lot of Cronenberg oh. reference. I don't know why, but I mean, because I love oh. Cronenberg, but. It, it's not necessary for this conversation. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. That's crazy. <sighs> I haven't thought about that memory. And, like, it, it's been buried in my brain for... Oh, man. Well, I, I hope that makes it through the edit, because that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, if I ever do start to feel overwhelmed by Cronenberg, I just have to put in Jason X and, and watch the beginning where uh jason kills cronenberg so right i forgot about that yeah anyway <laughs> back to the movie cronenberg knows what he did <laughs> he does he invaded your he dreams knows. like freddy krueger and then strangled you uh, so let's talk about invasion of the body snatchers a little bit more <laughs> looping back around all right so i'm gonna go from cronenberg to the fly to jeff goldblum sure. to jeff goldblum being in this movie before he had reached final form so yes. he's not weird he's not quirky He's a little off because he's a self-obsessed, self-absorbed writer, but 
you know, he's a creative. I, I get that. I'm a creative too. So I, I get it. But he's not doing the weird, odd, sexy, whatever it is he's become. Yeah, he's he's like a Vietnam veteran who's a poet now. And him and his wife run mud baths. And he spends almost the entirety of the first half of the movie just being really mad at Leonard Nimoy. And being like, this guy's a hack. I'm a real artist. And it's he's right. so self-centered. It's wonderful. And he never shuts up. No, he doesn't he, stop. He, his voice is like part of the soundtrack at this point. And he's just ranting. And I would be willing to bet that Don Siegel, the director, whoever, just told him to just go. Because I can't imagine anybody sitting down and writing those tirades the way that he just kind of goes on and on and on and on and on and on the whole thing. It's, I feel like some of them, though, have to be written because some of them I feel like are like the theme of the movie because it's like, like at one point he says something that I wrote down this time watching. He says, Kibner, Leonard Nimoy's character, is trying to change people to fit the world. I'm trying to change the world to fit people. And that feels like it, it gets right at the core of what this movie is. Mm, good point. So it's, it, I, I have to imagine if they did write out all his stuff, they must have just given it to him and just told everybody else to just do the scene no matter what Jeff says and just let him go. <laughs> yeah. And every once in a while, he does have a good, mm, and that's a great moment. That, that really does fit what we're watching here. He's the one that kind of figures out the cops are in a hang up the phone. Don't give the cops your name. You know, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, that whole portion is so scary too, of, of Matthew repeatedly trying to warn the authorities and it just becomes so sickeningly obvious that everybody knows what's going on and they're all blocking him from getting to anybody who's not in on it. And it's, ugh, it's just so horrible. Mm-hmm. That yeah, paranoia um, is just, it, it's just haunting. Wow. I was pleasantly surprised by the effects. A lot of times, depending on who did the film, 70s science fiction special effects films may not hold up, but this held up incredibly well. Yeah. And I, I don't know how they did the stuff at the beginning with the leaves, doing the close-up with the little gel stuff spreading out the way it did. I have some theories, but it was amazing. On the Blu-ray, there is a whole little uh, special feature. It's like 10, 15 minutes that is just about the the beginning, like first three minutes of the movie where it's the stuff on the planet and then the stuff as they're like moving into San Francisco and you get the nature shots and you have the little blobs. And I guess a lot of it was just gelatin that they dropped into water and reversed the footage of when it's like drifting around the planet at the beginning. For the stuff on the leaves, they just put it there. They had little strings and they reversed the footage so it looked that's, like the stuff was coming out. That's exactly what I thought is that they had like a, they had put a hole in the leaf mm. and had a bunch of strings coming out and they just pulled the string down through the hole to have it and then they reversed it. That's exactly what I thought. I guess that's yeah. how they did all the flowers too is, is the reverse footage of instead of it blooming, they just pulled it in uh, right. into the back end of the thing, which is smart and also a good way to keep the budget down. Sure. A lot of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, Philip Kaufman, the director, talks about how much of a budget they had and and how much it was like not at all what they thought they would need for this. Like it was going to be super low. And I'm like, it really does not show as a low budget film. You have a lot of extras, a lot of on location shooting. You have really good effects. And then I think the sound design does a lot of work to tie it all together. 
Um, oh yeah. It's sound designed by uh, Ben Burt who did the star Wars sound effects. And he is, that guy is, is a master of sound design. I mean, this, Mm -hmm. this movie is a masterpiece of constructed sound. It is so incredible. The stuff that he can do with really odd specific sounds that, that just kind of get at you in a primal way. Yeah. the, The sound is good and it's subtle. It is so subtle. Now, I'm the kind of guy who goes to the Internet Movie Database, looks up the trivia section, whatever. Uh, I don't own this on disc. I had to watch it streaming. But if I had it on disc, I would have watched all the stuff on it because I was so fascinated by it. And, you know, you read that they slowed down a human heartbeat and they put that in here and da-da-da. And it's like, yeah, of course he did. That makes perfect sense. And it was his, I guess, his uh, his unborn son's heartbeat as well, or unborn daughter. It was it was his pregnant wife he recorded her stomach. That's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little Cronenbergy flavor, too. God, <laughs> anybody? <laughs> hey, I like Cronenberg. I'm gonna. I'm always gonna push for him, even if he did strangle you in your dreams. Uh-huh. He he uh-huh. must have had a good uh-huh. reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a sick director. Apparently, that's, that's all what happens talking. to sick directors. <laughs> I'll just keep referencing it, so you can't cut that part now. Uh-huh. <laughs> You keep this up, and E.T.'s going to come to you in his sleep and, you know... <laughs> Punch me in the gut. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> but speaking of E.T.'s, Leonard Nimoy is in this movie. <laughs> How's that segue? <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, yeah, he is in this movie. And uh, I thought he was going to be a little bit more of a hero than sure. this. I had no idea what his role was going to be. Um, I ended up enjoying what he did quite a bit and it's always fun to see, especially Nimoy, but you know, I like watching Shatner and some of the others too, when they're in non-Trek stuff after Trek before Trek, you know, whatever after Trek, it's kind of really interesting to see what they brought with them from that experience and, and how they've grown since then. So it was fun to see Nimoy in this, you know, and you know, towards the end, he's talking about how they came from different planets or whatever. I'm like, okay, Spock. that's that's what I like <laughs> about this. Like this part for him, though, is it feels when you first see him, you're like, oh, he's like an inverse version of Spock. He's a guy who's all about yeah. emotion and all about like compassion in this way. Like he has this like fatherly quality to him in the early scenes, and then once mm-hmm. it gets revealed that he has been body snatched and and presumably has been for a while because he's been discouraging all these people from from the reality that their wives or husbands have been body snatched and are different. Once he kind of drops the act, you go like, oh, this is playing to his strengths in two different ways. He's, he's kind of both yeah. allowed to be Spock and allowed to be the opposite of Spock, uh, depending on, on what part of the movie you're at. It's really interesting. Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, he was one of my favorite performers in this whole thing. I didn't have a weak person in this at all. I, I thought everybody played incredibly well uh very well cast i mean we talked about the extras and all that earlier even the leads mm-hmm. were phenomenal you know and i think it's easy now to to think about donald sutherland as you know the older statesman of, of whatever cast him as the older character here or whatever but no nah, man in the 70s he was doing all sorts of stuff yeah it's good to see him doing stuff you know being the hero the, such an emotional man. realism to his performance in this too like this this also reminded me of this watch of Don't Look Now a lot because he's doing the same kind of character that at first glance comes off as kind of cold and methodical, but almost immediately that's undercut by how clearly he genuinely does care. 
in, in yeah. this movie, you have that the scene where he cooks for Elizabeth and the two of them are, are sitting out on the on the patio and laughing and she's doing the thing with her eyes. And you can tell there's such genuine warmth between them. That's another thing with this movie that that really strikes me is it feels like this movie, one of the many themes it's getting at is the idea that humanity is in the little moments. Humanity is in is in little expressions of love or kindness or compassion. It's in those strange, small ways that people interact where when you bump into somebody, you say sorry and they go, oh, sorry, my fault. You know, and the pod people, there's constantly uh, real people bumping into pod people and the pod people have no reaction. Or later on, you have all the pod people walking in sync. It seems like they're making a really fine point between the pod people who have no idiosyncrasies and don't feel anything and are, in fact, hostile to the idea of feelings because they see it as a weakness of the human race versus the fundamental humanity of the characters and watching that humanity get kind of battered out of the characters as things get worse is so soul crushing in the in the best 70s way Uh, towards the end there where uh, Nimoy is injecting uh, the two of them with a sedative so that we finally will sleep. And Sutherland is just pleading, you're killing us. You're killing us. It is so heartbreaking. And it's just like, when, oh when he God. just locks eyes with him, as soon as the needle goes in and he's like, David, you're killing me. It's, it's so yeah. brutal. I mean, it's oof. Mm-hmm. And, and that scene, I mean, is, is rough in general because like you have Kibner, as soon as he says, when you wake up, you're going to be free from emotions. You're not going to have any, any pain or fear or love or any of that nonsense. And immediately the first thing Elizabeth does is turn to Matthew and be like, I love you because she knows it's the last chance. And it's just so brutal. And, and the movie from that point is just constant kicks in the pants. Like it is, it is rough from that point on. And it hasn't been not rough before that, you know, when you get to the, the scene of him going to check out the boat, cause he hears amazing grace playing. It's that last little moment of delirious hope. And then as soon as he sees they're loading the pods onto the boat, he's just so like such genuine, exhausted anguish. Those are the kind of moments that I feel like modern cinema doesn't do because they're afraid that it comes off as corny. And I think the seventies got that, that raw, bitter hurt, right? So fundamentally. And I feel like some of that has been lost, but it feels like cinema is kind of coming back around to it. And I hope it, it, it is because I love that kind of emotion. There's a no pun intended considering what happens to Elizabeth afterwards, but he noticeably deflates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, you know, on a pure emotional, mental level, he just, he's done. And, it's almost as if everything happening after that, as he's running, it's just instinct. There's no more rhyme or reason to it. It's just all he knows at this point. And it's fascinating. It makes me want to go and search out more 70s Donald Sutherland. Now, I've seen him in some 60s stuff, mm. but I don't think I've seen a lot of 70s you know, Donald. Have you seen Don't Look Now? No. Oh, man. Okay. Again, another one where it might be too modern, quote unquote, feeling for Monster Kid Radio. And it, it's not monster heavy, but it has overtones of monster. It's like giallo-y. It's like a British giallo, basically. It's another one where the fundamental core of his character is kind of a broken human being because it's about a husband and wife whose child recently died and they're kind of dealing with that grief. And he is fantastic in it. All the performances in that movie are great too, but he carries every single scene. Like he is stunning. 
in that movie. Hmm. Yeah, if you haven't seen Don't Look Now, try not to look up anything about it because you'll probably immediately get spoiled on a certain reveal that is one of the crazier things. (laughs) I'm not going to watch nothing. (laughs) <laughs> well, if you're interested in doing it for Monster Kid Radio, I would love to be on that episode just to, uh, just to get your reaction to it. <laughs> I didn't realize Kevin McCarthy had a cameo. Yes. Yes, very briefly. I was very happy to see that. Like, that's my guy. They scripted it in such a way. They, um, one of the other special features, they talk about that cameo. And um, Philip Kaufman says that he wanted it to feel as though Kevin McCarthy, at the end of the original Body Snatchers had just kept running for 20 years trying to get somebody to help, and he just runs into the new movie <laughs> 20 years later. Well, and that's something that I saw when I was doing, like, the five minutes of research I did on this before I gave you a buzz. Right. Uh, is that there There are two schools of thought here, that it's just a fun little cameo, or it's a continuation of the first film. And I don't know which one I prefer. What do you prefer? I could see it as either. I kind of like it as ambiguous because one of the things I really love about this as compared to the original is that this one feels like a much more realistic version of that kind of a, an unfolding disaster would be where it's by the time the characters become aware of it, it's too late to stop. There's such a a massive movement already built. There's such momentum behind the pod people that they can't really in any way be stopped or slowed down. I think that could lend credence to the idea that it's 20 years later and this is either a second wave or that the first wave never stopped. It was just kind of slowed. But I think much like The Thing, this version of the pod people, I don't see a world in which they are on Earth for an extended period and everyone is not pod people. Yeah. So that that makes me think it's not a sequel because I feel like this version of the pod people would have taken over the world in a matter of months, maybe years. I don't know. It's an efficient plan. There, there doesn't is. seem to be a lot of room for error. It reminds me a lot of uh, the second Quatermass movie as well. Is that Enemy from Space? Is that what, what that one is yeah. called? Yeah. Where it's as long as they target institutional power and have people that have authorities that are taken over, you know, Kibner being a pod person makes perfect sense because he can easily go to each of these individual people He's a respected person in the community and he can go, no, there's nothing wrong. Just go home and go to bed and everything will be fine in the morning. You'll really, it'll be totally fine. And as long as they have enough people at, at important positions of power who say everything will be totally fine. Don't freak out. There's no need for a crazy revolution. There's no need for violence. Everything's fine. Then you can suppress the human revolt up until the point where it's impossible for the human revolt to succeed. And I think that's another element where the 70s feels so relevant because this movie feels so post-Vietnam. You can tell no one has any trust in society anymore at large. That's a good point. And then you have Goldblum in his, he has like a Vietnam uh, jacket. Presumably he's a veteran uh, as well. I think there is the, the, back to the Kevin McCarthy cameo anyway. I like that it's there and I don't find it distracting and I don't really want to think about the implications of it other than that, because I think that would kind of take the joy out of it for me. That, that was a sense. long way to get to that answer, but there we are. No, it, it makes sense, though. I totally understand. Do I want it to continue? Sure. You know, I want to have reference paid to the original because I like the original so much. But I think if you really start to analyze it, it starts to break down, which is what happens when you try to put the Frankenstein films from Hammer in order or any of the Dracula movies. Is it really a continuity? Not really. But we want there to be one, you know, so. Yeah, it, yeah there, I think there's hard. an obsession with continuity that has kind of taken over a lot of Hollywood lately because of the success of things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, 
I think there's there's a renewed energy towards canonicity in a way that Hollywood just didn't care about before. It's gotten more mainstream. Uh, sure. As a comic book geek growing up, it mattered to me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, from the very beginning of me becoming aware of you know media properties, I, I always wanted it to make sense. But now with the MCU and other things like that, it's become a little bit more mainstream. So yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, Kevin McCarthy's got the cameo in here. And as I'm watching the movie, the opening credits go by and I see a name that I think I recognize. And it's just scratching at the back of my brain. Like, I should know who this is. Why do I know the name W.D. Richter? Oh, And then it occurred yes. to me, Buckaroo Banzai, baby! And the writer of Big Trouble in Little China, W.D. Richter is like an all-timer in my book. He's yeah. the best. He Thanks is great. Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. The man. <laughs> oh, dude. Another movie about a secret alien invasion. Oh, man, you're right. <laughs> Maybe he was just scratching at that one particular itch. And this this just didn't do it for him. And he was like, you know, it'd be good, though, as if it was a comedy. What would be good, though, is if he was like a rock star in between doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, it feels like maybe and, he... And Jeff Goldblum's in that movie, too. That's true. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Wow. Yeah, this is... that is. I mean, that movie is like an all-star of every great character actor from the 80s, too. But I love that movie so much. I feel like Peter Weller could play a body snatcher in something, too. That would have been a good fit for him at some point. You know, I remember reading somewhere where he went off about how much he hates science fiction. (laughs) But he's done so much science fiction. Well, isn't he like, doesn't he like teach art history or something now in Europe? Like he's some some bizarre post-movie career where I'm like, hey, good for you. But like, what is this? Yeah, he, he was an instructor for a little while. I don't know if he still is or not, but... Yeah, I think he was doing that when he was appearing on that season of 24 that he did. Oh, right. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, he he just started playing like grumpy authority figures eventually because he did that in like Star Trek Into Darkness too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting about that one too. He's like, where I just call him Admiral Robocop because (laughs) the character is so thin. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, you know, we got a little Buckaroo Bonsai here. So now, now I want to make some continuity between that movie. No, I don't. That way lies madness. <laughs> I would love Buckaroo Bonsai versus the Body Snatchers. That'd be great. You know, for years, there was that script floating around online, and I don't know how legitimate it was, but it was a sequel to Buckaroo Bonsai. And uh, there's a scene where they come across Jack Burton. Really? Um, was it the like Against it, the World Crime League? I don't know if it was, it, it might've had that as a title. I don't know how legitimate it was, but I remember seeing something. It was, yeah. Like they get a ride on the pork chop express or something. I, hmm. I, I would be very curious to see that. Yeah. I, I don't know if that would be, I'm not sure if that would be legit or not, but I guess there's not really any way of knowing except like going to WD Richter and being like, did you write this man? <laughs> like, <laughs> Did you do this? Are you responsible? Yes. <laughs> And if you didn't write this, why didn't you write this? Write it now. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, let's see. What about the movie? What else about the movie? So, I do have one teeny tiny little note bone to pick here. Sure. And I, I don't necessarily hold the movie at fault for this or the filmmakers at fault for this because I feel like it, there wasn't really a way... Uh, demonstrated on how to do this on screen very well. And and we still struggle with it today in Hollywood. And that's women and men being really good friends, but not falling in love. Sure. I didn't need the 
they're in uh they're they're trauma bonding and now we're gonna make out for a little bit i, I didn't need that um mm. i think I, I think i would have preferred it if they were just really close friends and that's all it was um i think it's a little cliche to have them especially when she's clearly in a relationship at the beginning of the movie anyway well, I think I think um, as of the beginning of the movie, she's she's in that relationship, but cheating on that guy already with Matthew is is my read of it because they have that little like, should I take you home or do you have time while he's still out? Like I always read it as them having a pre existing affair. Really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Next time I watch this, and there will be a next time, I'll kind of keep an open eye for that. See if that's my read this time around. There's a lot of layers of human interaction in this that I find really interesting on rewatches. Like I, I really enjoy the, the really brief kind of sparring between Nimoy and Goldblum as well on rewatches. Yeah. Where it's like, they kind of like each other, but they don't really, they're, they're irritated by each other, but they also like, like each other being around. <laughs> it's, it's really strange. It's a strange little friendship. I like how Nimoy's character though, knows how to get Goldblum out of the room. Yeah. Hey, there's a woman over there in a red dress that really wants to talk about your work. Oh, yeah? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, no, there's not. <laughs> uh, and I love Goldblum throwing his book on the ground when he goes home, too. Like, there's they're, all their little aggression towards each other is so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but good stuff, though, man. Oh, this was a good watch. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, yeah, it's hard to know where to to even, like... Like, I feel like we've covered a lot, but it's like, it's hard to know what else there is to even cover because so much of it is just that feeling mm -hmm. that, that horrible sinking in your gut of just looking over and seeing somebody staring at you and not knowing why. Like, there's so much of that in this movie that I love. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. It's a great little film, man. It's a cool little film and, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and don't know if I like, like I said, I don't think I like it better than the original. Sure. Um, I did track down that list from uh, before that I referenced earlier, which was ranked number 59. Uh, right before it is 28 Days Later, it's number 58, and number 60 is The Hidden from 1987. So I, I guess it's in decent company. I don't know. I, I wouldn't put The Hidden on a list like that at all, honestly. Like, I like The Hidden fine, but I don't I don't really see it as like one of the scariest of all. Like, that's not really its vibe. Yeah, creature from the Black Lagoon at number forty-six. That's fair. I mean, probably could be higher, but uh, the Fly at number thirty-two. Is that original Fly or remake Fly? Oh, uh, the remake. Oh, okay. I assume they probably the don't have the original then, even though that, even though the last moments of the original Fly are one of the most like wonderfully shocking horror moments probably ever to me. Well, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is on the list at number 29. So oh, okay. a good 30 numbers ahead of the remake. So hmm. uh, their number one is Psycho. Uh, I, that's fair. I, I can't really disagree. Psycho's really great. Like, it's it's yeah. hard to argue with Hitchcock, honestly. And we got Night of the Living Dead at number five. You know what? I'll put a link in the show notes to this, too, instead of just bouncing around and reading them out loud. Here, you know? <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> no, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. It's, I feel like I'm um, too much of a genre snob to to like. Uh, well, and that's the other like thing, a right? list like is that he, where I'm like, no, no, monster stuff, though. Monster stuff should be higher. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing is, is lists like this. I don't know what the cred is for Andre Soros, the person who wrote this mm. six years ago. I don't know what this person's background was. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you, you, they're writing it for uh, the Chicago, they're doing it for the Chicago Critics Association. So I don't know. It, 
I don't really trust mainstream. I don't don't trust critics with horror in general. Like, like as much as, as uh, I respect Roger Ebert in a lot of ways with horror movies, he's always, you can feel the, um, you can feel that it's not his genre in all his reviews of horror stuff. And I think it gets in the way. Yeah. I mean, he's got, got at least one hammer film on here. Got Hitchcock, got a couple of zombie flicks from Romero. Shaun of the Dead? Nah. Not really scary. Any of these listicle articles, even if they're for something like the Chicago Critics or or whatever, I always feel a little bit like somebody just went on to IMDb and searched horror movies and then just ranked according to what has high scores sometimes. Scream 2. Scream 2. Yeah. Where what number is that? I'm about to get 82. mad about this. Okay. Well, all right. 82. I mean, I like Scream 2 fine, but that shouldn't be on that list at all. It does that just go like 1 through 100? Is that what it is? On yeah, top? Yeah. yeah. So it comes in before the original Mummy. <sighs> or the Wolfman or Phantasm? No. No, oh no. no, 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 no. Phantasm should be in the top 10. Phantasm is okay. is genuine nightmare fuel. So I'm going to find this guy's address and put it out on the podcast. No, <laughs> I shouldn't even joke about that. You know, Nordenberg is going to come to him in his dreams. (laughs) I'm going to send E.T. after him. (laughs) Pop out of a closet, hit him in the stomach, then wait till he falls asleep, then cut off his (laughs) elbow. His tally whacker, too. I'll show you what scary is. (laughs) Man. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think think horror movies have a toxic fandom? (laughs) No. (laughs) I always love horror fans, but then every now and then they turn against people, and I feel like we're doing it now. (laughs) You know what? uh, Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um. (laughs) (sighs) It's tough. We're we're defensive over this stuff because we love this stuff, and and people who don't love this stuff as much as we do... There's there's a little bit of a, a a a Kibner and Jeff Goldblum relationship, Kibner and Belichick relationship to that, and that's why we'll kill and replace them. Oops. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Oh no. I wish I could do the pod scream because that would be great, but I would blow out this microphone, and it would also be. I don't think I can do it. Oh man. Mm. This was this was good. I I wish I had seen it sooner. Just like I wish I'd watch the original one sooner. Um, I'm a little interested in the book, but I have so much I need to read. So I don't know. I, if I remember right, the the if I remember right, the book ends with the body snatchers all going home. Like they all like they you they're stopped successfully, which is something I don't like at all in a body snatcher story. Yeah. But um, it's there's a thing in in older horror literature that I, I like. I love a lot of that stuff, um, but I find a lot of the time, uh, depending on the author, they pull back right at the moment where they should push forward into the horror. Uh, and I assume some of that was dealing with censorship and and hoping to be able to get published, because um, there was a lot of cutthroat uh, stuff in the publishing world, but. It, it always, to me, just breaks my heart a little when a horror story won't commit to how horrible and sad and bleak the outcome should be, you know? 
Right. But that's why I like this movie, because it's bleak and brutal and rough in every imaginable way. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm I'm very curious how it'll sit with you, because for me, I had to kind of like sit on it after I watched it for the first time and think about it and dwell on it. And then I kind of went back and was like, oh, this is a masterpiece. Like, so I'm, I'm curious how it'll age for you. Well, like I said, I'm going to go back and watch it again. Um, I didn't, I was going to ask you if it's available on Blu-ray. It's, that's great. I'll put it on the Amazon, the old Amazon wish list. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> stick it on. It there. is a gorgeous um, transfer this, too. Nice. And thank you for using the word transfer instead of print. Um, <laughs> Nah, that's not a pet peeve of mine at all. Uh, <laughs> now I got to remember, I got to say print every time now. No. <laughs> Look what you've done. I will done. send E.T. after you. <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the real important question. Oh. How oh. would we, as Monster Kid Radio listeners, what would be the giveaway if you had been replaced by a pod person? Mm. That's the real question, because I think it would just be a slow thing of like, Derek hasn't mentioned Creature from the Black Lagoon in a couple of months worth of episodes. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that'd probably be the biggest giveaway for me. Well, you, you didn't talk about the music for this movie, so that might be it. I think I mentioned it at the very beginning that it's got a very 70s soundtrack. Oh, that's true. That's true. So, so I'm not a pod person yet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something a pod person would say. <laughs> no. Um, the podsters are probably... on Maple Street, Derek. <laughs> I'd probably relaunch my old mail order zombie podcast if that ever happened. <laughs> That's how we'll know. What about you? What would be the giveaway for you? Uh, probably if I wrote a story with a with like a really upbeat, like with a happy ending, affirming. <laughs> yeah, like if it was like if it got to the end and it was like everything was fine forever. Like I mean, like <laughs> circling back to this hideous joy. Like the whole premise is that people are happy when they shouldn't be happy. And how unsettling that is. <laughs> like, so if that tells you anything about my general disposition and the way that I write. <laughs> Years ago. Um, yeah, this episode has really kind of turned into a, a less. It's about the movie, but some Derek reminiscence. <laughs> uh, back when I thought I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up. Hey, that's it. If I ever stopped saying that. Sure. <laughs> um, in community college, one of the there was a video production class that I took six times because I wanted to have access to the equipment all the time. That's a good one. You only take it three times for credit, but whatever. Uh, and the f- I knew what the format of the class was because it never changed, which meant between semesters, I was still out shooting stuff because I knew I was going to shoot, you know, use it. And the final was to make a mini movie. And a friend of mine, my best friend at the time, the person who got me interested in making movies, made his mini movie. And it was called No Cable. And it was about couple of guys who live in a fourplex apartment uh, and they're stealing cable from the guy who lives downstairs. And the guy who lives downstairs loved to watch the Derek Cook channel, (laughs) which was me being me. Uh, (laughs) uh, Except like a a very exaggerated version of myself. And uh, I had a sidekick called the idiot video clerk that I apparently shot all the time. And he was played by my best friend. And uh, there was a scene in this uh, long road to get to this point, but there was a scene in this that I remember very distinctly where I asked the idiot video clerk, if he ever watched a movie of mine called friends and flowers and he's terrified. And he says, yes, yes. I'm like, you fool. I'd never make a movie called that. You know? So, <laughs> uh, and then I bought a gun and shoot him because we thought that was funny. At sure. The time. Um, I, I can't tell you the amount of stuff that, that when I was younger, I was like, and then someone gets shot in it. Like, <laughs> 
it feels like that's like it's like the Michael Scott from yeah. The Office, where every improv scene he takes out a, an imaginary gun. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, uh, that that same best friend at the time and I had a falling out, and he told me that I wanted to. He was sat tired of watching me make movies in which blood was a punchline. So yeah, uh, and then you shot him. That, <laughs> that was, was what me. the really tragic part was. And then I apparently yeah, I just shot. Him. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh boy, uh, Jared! If there's if you're listening for whatever reason, I miss you, buddy. <laughs> don't do it, Jared. He's got I a hope gun. You do well. I hope you do well, man. I really do. I want nothing but the best for my old friends. Um, and that's something that Derek would say, and not a pod person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, man, I just went way off script. Not that there's a script, but no, it's been nice though. It's been uh, a what? very like weirdly circular. Cover. We keep looping in on ourselves in a really fun way. Yeah, yeah. Who was the composer on this? By the way, I did like it's, the music, but it felt very. It's 70. like a jazz music musician. I think. I don't think he ever did anything else. I have it written down somewhere, but I can't remember. Denny. Zeitman? Yeah, jazz pianist and composer and clinical professor of psychiatry. Oh, wow. Well, okay. All right. Maybe he was like the real Kibner. He may still be alive. He's on a website. Does he have a publicly available <laughs> phone number? Let's call him. <laughs> Let's call him right now. Uh, Denny Zeitman, jazz pianist, composer, psychiatrist. That's literally what the website wow. says. Uh, <laughs> wow yeah he put out a cd last year really huh yeah what do you know good for him yeah i did like it uh i thought the soundtrack really worked for what it was you know yeah I, so much of this movie is is like because i've i've shared this movie with people or recommended this movie to people and then they've just come back and been like I don't get this at all, man. Like, I just don't. Really? Yeah. Like people, I think it is just how seventies it is. Like it's so of a piece with itself that either you're fully in or fully out. Like, I, I don't really understand really? it because huh. to me, it's, it's super compelling. It's super nerve wracking. It is exactly what I want from this kind of like sci-fi horror. But I guess there is a degree sure. to which people just, if you're not already like a seventies film fan, I could see how it would be really isolating. Huh? See, I don't get that at all. I mean, I, I but I don't know. Uh, and you're right. This is the only thing he actually composed. Um, some of his music turned up on things like Sesame street, but this is the only original piece he composed for film. Ooh, Sesame uh, street meets the body snatchers. That's well, there's something that's the one. <laughs> Too bad I don't do the X meets Y podcast anymore because that would be <laughs> that'd be pretty great. Wow! <laughs> wow! The, the pod replaces the puppet, but not the puppeteer. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! That's amazing. Alma says, "Just go to sleep." It'd be so much easier if you would just sleep. <laughs> Don't ever say that again, Jeff Goldblum. That's just creepy. Alma wants you to awaken in a world without fear, without love, without hate. <laughs> oh, God. See what you mean now about how this conversation has gone to strange places. <laughs> I, I love it, though. I'm having. Oh, it's great. I needed this. I needed this so much. Um, with everything going on in my life right now, I needed uh, 
a movie that I really enjoyed and a conversation that's about the movie, but about so much more and revealing probably more truths about myself than I've ever revealed on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> considering what I used to do to my brother and E.T. and David Cronenberg. And- so how many people do you think are just going to send you like pictures of David Cronenberg now? In Facebook messages you know, it's, to scare you. I've said it before. I've said it before on the show. I've talked about it on Mail Order Zombie. I mean, this is something that's been with me for twenty about 20 <laughs> years. Um, and I can still remember the feeling of those black gloves around Oh, so he had like I mean, Giallo killer style me. too. It, it scarred yeah. me, man. So, I, I mean, that's why I say if he ever... I know he doesn't do a lot of horror stuff anymore, but if he was at a horror con and I met him, I, I don't know how. Well have you seen, um, have you seen Nightbreed? Cause he, he's the serial killer. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. No, I, love I feel like that would be, if I was scared of David Cronenberg, that's the version of him. I would be scared of <laughs> like Nightbreed was my first exposure. Oh, sure. Okay. Cause I, I didn't know him as a filmmaker beforehand. I just knew him as the guy who wore a cool mask in a movie that should have been yes. better. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's Nightbreed all around. It's like, all of these pieces yeah. are great. Why doesn't the movie hang together at all? Uh, it's a studio. I don't blame Barker for that yeah, one. Yeah, when you compare it to, like, the Hellraiser stuff, it, it becomes really clear that Barker was not at fault for Nightbreed. No, and you see the director's cut or the producer's cut or whatever, all the stuff that's come out since. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. But yeah, that was my first exposure to him. Um, but the David Cronenberg that came into my room was the director, David Cronenberg. It wasn't <laughs> the character. I just, I just love, I just, for some reason, it's just really hilarious to me. Just David Cronenberg, just silently killing somebody like, like, like those nurse serial killers that just kill people in bed when they're sick. <laughs> like, it's just something about that is, is weirdly tickles my funny bone. <laughs> you know what we do to sick directors? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, <sighs> well, that's the version of the body <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the name of the book, one more time. Yes, the book is This Hideous <sighs> Joy. It is available uh, August 21st. Pre-orders are available now. You can pre-order the ebook for just $1.00. Please do. Please check it out. I really think everybody in your audience would appreciate it. Again, it's very much inspired by like 70s uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Day of the Triffids, Stepford Wives, a lot of those, uh, the more bleak side of science fiction, which I am very much a fan of. Uh, and it it does get a little bit Lovecrafty, but I don't want to say anything more than that because that's a little spoilery. Sure, sure. Uh, will it be available as a print edition it as well? It will, yes. Okay. So ebook print edition, go buy it and then uh, track down Jonathan and get him to sign. Yes, it. please. You want to give your you want to give your address out? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, everybody, if you do buy it and if you do like it, please do leave a review because that would mean a yes. lot. Independent authors thrive on uh, reader reviews. It is it is very much yeah. necessary. Uh, so please check it out. I think you guys will dig it. Hopefully, uh, let me know if you do. Let me know if you don't. Any feelings about it you have, uh, just just send them right to me. I, I'm on Facebook. I'm available. Find me and, and I don't know, cuss me out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance you'll return to podcasting? I, I Yes, I have a couple of things uh, in the hopper, so to speak. Nothing recorded yeah. just yet, but... Um, I've been, I've got a, uh, horror anthology scripted, like quasi audio drama, quasi audio book, uh, series that I've been working on for like 
a year and a half now because we were going to go into production right before COVID shut everything down. Um, so I've got like 30 scripts for that just sitting. Uh, and then I also have like wow. a regular, I, I have a, I'm going to start recording soon a more conversational podcast that's going to be reviewing a very specific subgenre of movies. And that's all I want to say about it uh, just yet. But I, I will eventually be back to the world of podcasting. Fantastic news. Very cool. Well, man, I appreciate you doing this uh, and, and coming on and, and helping me exercise a few demons. Apparently, <laughs> uh, this was a good therapy session. If I can't get Doctor you know, Mr. Spock for therapy, I guess you know I'll settle for. I've always, <laughs> what is, what I've always loved Doctor Spock. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. You know. Well, it's uh, funny actually because I have a I have one on. ear that has a little point at the top of it. So so kids used to call me Spock in school. So kind of fitting. What just happened? I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm done I'm, recording. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I feel like anymore. you and I are just doubling down and one upping each other on weird jokes. Like, uh, well, this was fun. I I didn't. Yeah, I'm really glad. This honestly, been, like uh, it's because it, it's. it's been, uh, I, I was afraid that when I saw that you had a bunch of bad stuff happen like earlier, I was like, oh no, is this going to be a real downer for him? Like, I really hope it's not. No, no, not no. I can do. I, I used to say this to. Uh, my mother actually, she would wonder why I like watching these. Back back then, it was all you know zombie movies and spl splatter films mm. and all that. And like, how how can you watch this stuff? Does it make you happy? Does it fill you with joy? And it's like you know, it doesn't matter what how bad of a day I think I'm having because I watch these movies and see people having a much worse day than me. So <laughs> you know, it's this weird kind of therapy. <laughs> it's i've heard i've heard that like people with anxiety or like uh uh like certain uh mental disorders find horror films comforting because it is like a catharsis like that that's yeah. something i definitely find true like it, it, when i watch something bleak even while i'm watching it i'll go like well things i guess could be worse for me <laughs> like you know, yeah, the debt collectors are, are hounding me and my power's about to be cut off, but Jason's not that, here. Yeah. It's all good. Could always be <laughs> worse. E.T.'s not in the closet waiting for me to go to sleep. <laughs> E.T. and David Cronenberg just pushing each other out of the way, trying to get to the door. So that's a team up. That would be E.T. versus oh, Cronenberg sounds up. like. Oh, a yeah, we got to do it like Freddy versus Jason. Because E.T. doesn't talk wow. and kills people physically and Cronenberg kills people in their dreams. So it's like perfect. <laughs> right. Of course. I, I don't know what I was thinking. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> quick, get on the phone with David Cronenberg's agent. Oh, and E.T.'s agent. He's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's clearly free, yeah. right? Unless he's got a cameo in the West Side Story coming up or something. <laughs> <laughs> The problem is really on set, though. I heard E.T. was terrible. He was always phoning home. Oh, oh. see, what? I was trying to my brain went to like, let's make a let's make a drug joke about Reese's oh, sure. pieces. But no, you, you, you nailed there it. is the you part where it. he soul bonds to a little boy and then is, is, is yeah, and, and is dying <laughs> and then is killing the little boy along with him. That's that's the part where I yeah. go like, OK, E.T. is morally reprehensible. <laughs> you know, I think. And I think I'm a little bit older than you, so I, I you know, I'm going to put sure. that out there. But you know, I was older than my brother. E.T. didn't scare me. I didn't think he was scary or whatever. I just thought, whatever, alien. But my brother, who was like four or five years younger than me, was terrified of him to be sure. And I wonder if it was an age thing. Yeah, because I was born in 92. Um, so like when I when I first saw E.T., yeah. e. it was already like, it had already permeated the culture and everybody loved E.T. And I watched it as like, 
probably like four or five. And I, as soon as the bit in the cornfield where he comes like running out and screams that mm. like as a kid at that age, I like got up, went to the bathroom and just looked at myself in the mirror and was like, Nope, this is too scary. I don't like this. <laughs> nope. Like just the most like adult, like go wash your face, go look at yourself in the mirror and just be like, can you do this? No, I can't do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, your limits, but then man. I did continue to watch it because I was a stupid kid, but <laughs> well, apparently so was I as evidenced by the conversation we had. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this was a blast. Thank you again for, for having me on. I always really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I needed it, man. I needed it. So thank you. Slowly, relentlessly, destiny ticks off the terrifying minutes of anguish that freeze the blood. The castle of the living dead. In an atmosphere of horror, the story of a man who violates the forbidden frontiers of science to arrive at a frightful but lucid madness and atrocious inhuman crime. Starring the unforgettable creator of Dracula, Christopher Lee, in a new triumphant performance, breathtaking as never before, sadistic and pitiless, subtle and monstrous. a thrill a minute, it will hold you spellbound with its unexpected shocking surprises in which tragic reality and unearthly fantasy blend in an atmosphere of horror and suspense. They say seeing is believing, but only a split second of time separates the past from the future. The present is crushed between them. A thin thread of life in a skein of death. looking at? I don't know what's happening. You are warned. Things are not what they seem. Don't look now. What is it, Mr. Baxter? What is it you fear? Find him. You must find him. You must find him. It was a warning. It was Christine. She was trying to warn us. Your life is in danger while you're in Venice. <laughs> what is it you fear? 
Christine is dead. She is dead. <laughs> Did she die suddenly? No, no. John, I wish you'd believe me. <laughs> what did she say? What did she say? She is dead. You must find her. Dead, 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 dead. You are warned. Things are not what they seem. Don't look now. its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. I want to thank everybody who contributed to this week's episode of the podcast. Yes, that means Kenny, that means Mark, and that means Jonathan, and that means you too, because I appreciate everybody's support. Retweeting tweets, sharing posts on Facebook, letting people know about the Monster Kid Radio podcast. Thank you for being part of our Cyber Street team, for being part of the Monster Kid Radio... Did we ever settle on something there? Tribe? Collective? I, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've gone. To, you know what? It doesn't matter. You are a Monster Kid radio listener, and you're one of my favorite people. So thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of the show experience. If you want to tell people about Monster Kid Radio, please send them over to monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. It's all right there. Our contact information is there. Our email, all of it's right there. Check it out. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at... 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. You're also going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter page, our Reddit, our Discord. We are trying to take over the internet as best as we can and make it as easy for you to interact with us here at MKR. So please consider tweeting, liking, joining, redditing, and discording. And yeah. You're also going to find links in our show notes to everything that we've talked about in this week's episode of the podcast. You want to catch up with Mark? You can do it right there. You want to catch up with Jonathan? You can do it right there. You want to help support the show by picking up some of your own Amazon merchandise? You want to buy a copy of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Please consider using the Amazon affiliate link that I've got posted there on the website. Even if you don't want to buy the movie, but you want to buy something else from Amazon, please consider heading over there using one of those Amazon affiliate buttons. 
even if you don't buy whatever the button's for, as long as you go to Amazon through that button first, we still get a little bit of scratch, a little bit of a kickback from Mr. Bezos himself, and it helps to support the show. We actually have had the biggest month that we've ever had through Amazon through these links, about 50 bucks or so, which really helps out because that pretty much pays for the hosting of the podcast. Also, we have a tea Public shop where you can pick up all sorts of awesome t-shirts. Sometimes it's cover art from previous episodes. Sometimes it's just a big old face of Peter Cushing or John Agar looking at you. And when you pick up a t-shirt this way, we get a little bit of support as well. And last month was also our biggest t-shirt month. So please head over to tinyurl.com slash mkr t-shirt to pick up a t-shirt for yourself or maybe even a book or a sticker or a magnet or a pillow or a tote or whatever else I've got posted over there. Also, please pay attention to that because about once a week or so, I try to post a brand new design. Okay, what's coming up this weekend at the Monster Kid Movie Club over at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio or monsterkidmovie.club? Well, you can thank my writing partner, Mike Marisitz, for coming up with the name for the theme that we're doing this Saturday, Chris Lee's B-Sides and Rarities. We're going to be showing some Christopher Lee material this weekend. We have got Dracula and Son. We have got some television appearances that he did. We have got Horror Hotel, a.k.a. City of the Living Dead. We've got some really cool stuff lined up. I cannot wait for Saturday. I have not done a Christopher Lee day yet, so this is going to be a real treat for me, and I think it'll be a treat for the viewers as well. And then on Tuesday, we've got some brand new serials in the works. I've been really enjoying doing the serials at the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, which you can also find on Twitch, the exact same spot. This Tuesday, we're going to be starting the serials The Spider's Web and The Masked Marvel. Oh, man, some really good stuff coming up. And then on Thursday, what's happening next week on the show? I'm going to be talking with Todd Brown from The Haunted Cinema about the movie Curse of the Undead. What was he, this being half human, half what? Appearing out of the nightmare darkness. Evil his face, evil his deeds. think I'd invent something as horrible as all this just to get rid of a ranch hand? I don't know what to think. I only know that I can't accept such a thing as a, a vampire. His victims, the young and the beautiful, as well as the bold and the strong. You were just lucky the other night when my man missed you. If that was me, you'd be pushing dirt. Don't reach for your gun. Will you get out of here? You call the time. Are they doomed, all who oppose him? Drake! Can nothing human stop him? I hit him. I know I hit him. If I can't do it now with your consent, I'll go into Banning and get a court order. But I'm going to open those coffins. See you dead first! Not dead! We're going to mix some cowboys with some monsters, some horror with some western. I am all in. Giddy up. Let's do it next week. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Zorch X99. That is copyright 2021, the mullet monster mafia. You can pick it up off their album Inferno. Came out 
earlier this year. It's got some awesome tracks on it, including this song. It appears courtesy of Otitis Media Records. Big thanks to them for letting us play their music here on the show. Go check them out. Throw them some support and have a good time. My name is Tara Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 